Hey there, folks. Welcome to episode 84 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name's Rob Woods, and this is the podcast for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants ideas and maybe a nudge of encouragement to help you raise more money and enjoy your job, especially during the pandemic. And again this week, I'm joined by my friend Ben Swart, who's my colleague at Brightspot. He does lots of training and, and coaching in addition to, to other things. And uh, he's going to carry on from our previous episode where he was chatting to me about this idea I got all excited about, which is <laughs> the obstacle is the way. Absolutely, Rob. So well done, listener. Either you have listened to that episode, and if you haven't, I encourage you to listen to it. But if you have, welcome to the second half of it. Rob, you had just told us at least one of the tactics about how the challenges that have appeared at the moment and over the last few years, you've noticed examples of where people have used that to succeed and get outstanding results. And there were more tactics that you wanted to go deeper on today in this episode. That's right, Ben. The the gist of the the one last time was I read a book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And uh, I've had a tough two years, definitely. I'm not going to lie and say I haven't. But uh, one of the books that has helped me most is that book, The Obstacle Is The Way. And the key point I took from it is it helping me to really feel the truth of, even in really difficult problems and disadvantages that life throws at us, even in big challenges, if you search for them, there usually are some positives in addition to the difficult things. And in the previous episode, I talked about some fundraisers who've done really well at following through on that idea. And I, I think it's partly how they've been so proactive and they've managed to make the best of their fundraising. I shared the story of Paula at Greenpeace UK and the brilliant face-to-face campaign where a lot of that success and the 20% increase in income compared to the previous year was because of a a proactivity and a willingness to find opportunities, even in the many difficulties that COVID threw at her. And then I, I was just starting to move on to, in addition to that habit that I think we can have of expecting opportunity, this other useful habit of quite deliberately cross-pollinating, by which I mean putting ourselves in opportunities where we hear or read things that are going on in other charities and even other sectors outside of our charity and how powerful that is to help you find those opportunities. I, I love that. And you're absolutely right. Yesterday, I was delivering training to a charity and we were talking through exactly the same sort of examples like you just described. And you're right, watching the penny drop when they suddenly realized the version of the idea they could create themselves. But I, my favorite thing is there's just a huge difference, isn't there, between thinking through, I like that idea, here's some I've come up with, and then being brave enough and determined enough to actually do it. And, it's, and I love your examples because here's two or three people that didn't just come up with the idea, they actually did it. And we've got six times more income. They did it and they got £150,000 partnership. I, I love that. How, how, do you, how do you switch it from an idea to doing it? So in this idea of four habits, I've noticed that some fundraisers have, have been getting success within the last two years. The first one would be expect opportunity, even in the dark times. Second would be quite deliberately have the habit of cross-pollinating via via a podcast or joining our Bridesport Members Club or there's lots of other forums and podcasts and opportunities clearly by which, but above all, find a way to regularly reach out to what's going on in other charities out of your silo, out of the way you're 
your team does it and its paradigm and its its beliefs and its modus operandi. But yes, I agree. There's a world of difference to like doing that and spending time and effort getting those ideas and actually taking action and trying them out. Yeah. And this is a whole big topic on its own. And the, for instance, my episode with Craig Linton, he shared his process and, and, and his collective he, he works with of, of, of some smart fundraisers. They've, they've got a quite deliberate process for, for how you can go from insight or idea to testing and prototyping and improving and so on, and then turning it into something that generates results. So there's a whole, whole big topic. For now, I would just sum up a key principle as being find a way to take action, but do so intelligently. And what I mean by that is it's definitely a pitfall that some of us have sometimes where we take action too quickly. We're not prepared enough. I know how easy that can be. And there's there's times when I've done that. But honestly, the far bigger risk for almost all of us, I suggest especially in an age of uncertainty, and especially if we're doing things that are different to the status quo, the far bigger risk is that you you wait too long before you get round to trying something. A part of the human condition for most of us is that we have this need for certainty, yeah. and that's valuable. It's, a, in many ways, the first fundamental human need, survival need, you know, platform of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, is we need to think, no, things are going to be okay, that we can can survive. The, the risk, though, is if you overdo that, you never quite get step out of what some would call your comfort zone. By an extra millimeter or an extra, extra centimeter, you stay locked in it. So I, my advice to our listener would be, beware the tendency to navel gaze and on your own and or how that this tendency in many organizations, cultures can be magnified the more people whose good opinion you might need before you can try something out and find proactive ways to counteract this tendency. One of my favorite examples was in the episode we did with Hannah from uh, Ensemble Reza. I forget which episode it is now, but she told the the brilliant story of the journey that her small music charity took in the, in 2020, um, going from March 2020, where literally she, as the chief executive of that charity, she wasn't sure that their music charity would even survive this pandemic when no live events could happen. And that's basically what they did. Going through to end of 2020, they changed so much of how they operated that not only had they reached dramatically more uh, larger audience, more people, and not just primarily in the south of England, but across the UK and across the world, they transformed their ability to, to reach people. And they ended up raising twice as much money as they did in 2019 in the non-COVID year. So that episode is worth listening to. But there's a particular favourite story I've got where Hannah had a particular problem which was they'd set up a YouTube channel and they were doing every week all these free, fabulous concerts to just keep getting their wonderful music out to, to their audience, especially to, to cheer them up and, and help them keep going during lockdown because a lot of their audience were vulnerable and, and housebound and so on. So the YouTube channel was fundamental to the success, but it did create a new problem for Hannah, which was on the rare occasion in 2020 when she decided to do a paying concert. Uh, so there was ticketing, but still people would access it virtually. 
how on earth do you cause someone to to want to pay for a ticket when all the other weeks it's been free? Initially, Hannah did not have an answer to that question. But the more she thought about it, I don't know when it was, but she just got this good idea. And she remembered, she said, I need to create some wow factor somehow, some sparkle. How on earth can I do it? And then she remembered having heard months before, maybe years before, the actor Stephen Fry saying in an interview to someone about music that one of his favourite pieces of music happened was was basically from Hannah's point of view the same piece of music as she was about to play to perform in the upcoming concert and she put that memory together with her desire to create some celebrity sparkle and apparently that particular music is often performed together with the reading of a tonal poem they go they go together and she thought if only I could uh, could reach out I wonder if Stephen would be willing to help us out and read that poem but, dear listener, really, this is a very small charity. They don't have loads of celebrity friends, um, as some much larger charities do. Uh, so she had no links whatsoever. But when I say but she was determined to take action, but she didn't take action immediately and do it in a way less likely to work and just fire off a, a tweet, which, you know, in the context of all the tweets he sees, he, he'd probably be unlikely to respond to. But equally, she didn't put it off. So she racked her brains. How can I possibly get this request in front of Stephen in a format where he might say yes? And the more she thought about it, she just realised she does have a friend who works in the publishing uh, industry and is based in London. And she thought, if there's anyone I know who, who might have a clue how you could get this in front of Stephen Fry's agent, it would be that friend. She took action, did it intelligently, called up her contact, and th- the rest is history. That person got the ask in front of Stephen Fry's agent, phrased in a nice way. He was very happy to help, busy though he was. He read, recorded the tonal poem and uh, the whole, uh, Hannah's event became massively easier to sell and get people to, to pay money for because of this wow factor. So this, this happy medium of she found a way to take action, but she also found a way to do it intelligently. But still, I want the listener to understand there was still risk, there was still uncertainty, there was still it might never have worked but she found a way to, to take action. And this uh, former rug, England rugby player, Will Greenwood, talks about the 40-70 rule, which is you don't implement or try something when you've done less than 40% of the research, but neither do you wait till you've got 80, 90, 100% of the research and you know everything. This golden period is to, to do your homework, but find a way to take action before you necessarily feel totally reassured about everything. and you know, there might be some projects where you need to do even more research. My key advice to the listener is to beware the tendency in individuals and in organisations to wait too long. I love that, Rob. And, you know, with the word bright spot in mind, I bet that the listener can think through times when they have managed to achieve things that they didn't realise were possible or get that extraordinary result. And when they look back to the beginning of it, there was a conversation starter, an idea they acted on, and I bet that they were in that 40 to 70% range. Hi, it's Rob, and I want to jump in quickly to let you know about our Major Gifts Mastery Programme, which is a combination of masterclasses and one-to-one coaching to help fundraising professionals from education and other charities to grow their confidence and their major donor income. To give you a sense of the difference it can make, here's what one fundraiser, Linda, said about how it helped her. 
Hi, I'm Linda Horowitz and I work for Animals Asia. I've just completed the Major Gifts Mastery Programme. It has been invaluable. I was new to Major Gifts fundraising and I recently just secured my very first £50,000 donation. So, call Rob. If you'd like to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services and then click on Major Gifts Mastery Programme. For now, back to the interview as Ben and I carry on talking about the power that comes from finding a way to take a deep breath and take a first step. I love that three second rule. There was something in those three seconds that just made them act or, or to, to move on it. Uh, I can certainly think of lots of examples and even you know some of the conversations from your podcast with Dan McNally and some of the way in which that grew and grew and grew and raised more than they ever expected it would do and ended up with Warner Brothers Hollywood actors tweeting about their event and talking to them and donating, I think, all probably based on, let's just, uh, let's just give it a go. Let's see where we go from it. I, I really like that. Yeah, thank you. Yes, uh, apparently in that episode, it really caught the imagination of Gal Gadot, the, yeah. the actress who's the star of um, the Wonder Woman film. And, and, and yeah, uh, there was a, it, because Dan took a risk and took a step, even though he didn't know where it would lead, then this glorious positive snowball effect happened that could never have been predicted when Dan took that first first brave and creative step. And that really leads me on to the fourth point and the, the last one I really want to talk about in today's episode, which is see it as a journey. Yes, expect opportunity. Uh, yes, cross-pollinate. Yes, take action, but do so intelligently. But lastly, see it as a journey rather than as a single action. And um, this is a reason why I've not used the word pivot very often in the last two years. It's true. One reason I don't use it is that some people have a visceral dislike to it because it came along at one of the hardest times in, in their life and everyone kept telling them to, to, to pivot and that was an extremely difficult thing to do. But yes, the, the reason I, I tend not to have used the word pivot very often in the last 18 months is it has a connotation of a, a single big move, whereas actually it's so rare that a, a brilliant fundraising initiative was the result of one good idea and then it's a done deal. Almost everything, you know, even if you look at something like the Macmillan World's Biggest Coffee Morning, whenever it was first started, and forgive me, I don't know the history, I'm sure it looked different in some ways to its current format. But what's crucial is whether it was 15 or 20 years ago, whenever it was, somebody got it started, even if they don't know, didn't know all the answers. They just dived in and had a go. And then they learned from it. I hope and imagine it raised some money that year. But crucially, once they'd got done a first version, they had something to work on to make it better and keep testing and reiterating. And the rest is history. Whatever the listeners, charities' favourite initiative or product or source of funding is, it will, to state the obvious, it will have changed over the years how you do that. So the same is true of what I've noticed of, of people who found ways to find opportunities in spite of the obstacles this year. They cross-pollinated, they got good ideas, they got started, and then they, right from the start, they found a way to see it as a journey where they would keep improving things and learning rather than right from the start think that that first version was going to be the be-all and end-all. We talked about Laura and Leeds Hospitals Charity. I, I know for a fact that as soon as 
they'd finished the initiative this time last year, they were already learning and exploring ways to make it even better this year. And so, so that's proved to be true. On her podcast episode with me, Paula from Greenpeace UK, again, she said there were so many small changes we, we made all through that spring and summer in terms of how they would, would make their face-to-face campaigns most likely to be doable and safe and most likely to be successful and raise funds as well. So all of these great stories that inspire us, there can be a risk that when you listen to a podcast or listen to a, a presentation at a conference, that that journey element is not always mm. fully really emphasised. Sometimes if you're not careful, you can have the impression that it was always this perfect version of the idea. I know that's never the speaker's intention, but all of the boring <laughs> ins and outs and iterations and wrong turns that were taken are rarely included in a conference talk because there isn't time and often they, they don't sound <laughs> very interesting. But to the listener, really these last two points go together. Take action, get started, but it's easier to do so if you know that whatever you're doing is unlikely to be the finished article because right from the start, you see it as a journey. Again, even that wonderful success of Paul Courtney's fabulous bite-sized business network clubs, virtual events for companies that were supporting his hospice. Even that, month in, month out, there would be small changes to improve the way that was done. And I know this is really obvious stuff. You know, certainly tech startups and tech millionaires, they have that that idea called the minimum viable product, don't they? I think the more as fundraisers, we can take on the mindset of just get started and then improve it as we go along. I've noticed that being a, a key belief and habit in many of the fundraisers that I've been fortunate to interview in the last couple of years. I love that, Rob, especially as I think it takes a bit of bravery and action, like you're saying, to to do that, whether that's to to actually embark on something when you're at the 40 to 70 percent point, but also immediately after it's work, it's happened to go back to it and do it again, but to just tweak it a little bit because it is inevitably easier to do nothing. It is definitely easier to keep it as it was. It's definitely easier to sit back and not do the action. And yet I love these little examples of when it's been done, there's just been this incremental little change and, 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 and change in results. And, and you're right. And perhaps not for this podcast, but I can think of the many times people have copied some of our networking session type events. And you're right, because they're every quarter, every few months, it's been a wonderful chance to just tweak, tweak the way the speaker says something, tweak the email we send afterwards, tweak the way we frame it, tweak the title. Next month, let's do it again. And each time it gets a different result. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And the other bit, I, I think any way that was always smart, because how can you possibly get it all right first time? It's just not possible. You'd be the best in, in, inventor, you know, even Steve Jobs, I, I imagine, would have that same mindset and same approach. But the other reason is now, especially when the rate of change is just faster than ever, even before COVID happened, you know, the rate at which society, politics, economics, and so on, the environment in which we fundraise, that was changing and speeding up massively even before COVID, but now it's just gone turbocharged, hasn't it? Um, So as long as the environment in which we are doing our fundraising continues to change so quickly, that's the other reason. Even if your, your first version was really good, your first way of doing something was excellent, 
the chances that everything about the environment staying the same between your first time you do it and the next time you do it are really slim nowadays, I think. Thank you, Rob. I really, really have enjoyed hearing your take on this topic. And I'm very pleased that a few weeks ago you picked up that book and have given us a chance to, to, to learn a bit more. Um, I think that's about it for today, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I think that's really plenty for this episode as well. Um, last thing I was just going to say, Ben, is thank you ever so much uh, for making time to help me think through these things and, and tell you my, my, my four ideas. I, I really appreciate the questions you've asked me and the little examples you shared as well. So I look forward to catching up with you very soon, Ben, but for now, bye-bye. So I hope you found this episode helpful. If you did and you've not already subscribed, please do remember to do that today so that you never miss an episode. As always, you can get a summary and a transcript of the episode on the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Now, if you're the leader of a fundraising team and you'd like to get your team access to a whole library of our best training films, our community and our weekly workshops, then do check out the Brightspot Members Club, which is our learning and inspiration site for fundraisers. You can find out more at brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. And although at the time of recording this in December 2021, we're not taking on new individual members, we're still taking on new team memberships. And the various discounts for teams are better than half the price of individual memberships. So if you'd like to find out more about these options, do send me a quick message at events at brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Thank you so much to everyone who's been in touch and to everyone who's been sharing our podcast. Ben and I would love to hear what you think about this episode. We're both on LinkedIn. And on Twitter, Ben is at Ben Swart and I am at Woods underscore Rob. Lastly, thank you for listening today. And if you're listening in December 2021, I hope you have a wonderful and well-deserved break soon. And I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot episodes with you in the new year. <laughs>